Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Five the Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is the Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. Presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Thanks for joining me here on a sort of overcast and rainy at times Wednesday in the Music City. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm Jason Martin at jmartzone. I also also say this. I'm blessed beyond measure. All reasonable, all unreasonable, all other kinds of reasonable. Sometimes I recognize it more than others. Certainly recognize a lot of it today blessed just with so many wonderful things in my life and i hope that that's the same for you i hope you recognize how blessed you are and if that's something you haven't really thought about before and it's a conversation you'd like to have further my dms are always wide open for that conversation at jmart zone if not me i hope you will talk to someone i want to talk about something tonight that i'm not the first one to suggest this but i've been thinking about it all day And it relates, of course, to last night's big story, which was not the Warriors beating the Blazers because that could have been seen ahead of time. I have Warriors in six. I just don't think the Blazers are quite there yet. And the Warriors have just been there and done that too many times. Durant's going to be out for game two. That's Chris Haynes of Yahoo reporting that. That's also expected. I'm not sure he's going to play again. In this series, if if they're up 2-0, there's no reason to play him. But... I still think this might be more nagging than has been indicated to this point. But I hope not. I'd like to see Kevin Durant back, even though I think that the Warriors play a much prettier brand of basketball when he's not on the floor. And the stats would indicate, I think they're now 28-1 and when Steph plays and KD doesn't. Not that way when KD plays and Steph doesn't. And they're under 500 when Kevin scores 40 or more points. It's not that they're better without Kevin Durant. It's that this team seems to perform... Maybe it is that they're better without Kevin Durant. I don't know. But I want to talk about the lottery. Because the New Orleans Pelicans won the lottery last night. And that means they won the right to draft Zion Williamson. And if you saw the reports immediately following from Mark Spears of ESPN and others, Zion's people whisked him. That was the word that was used in the tweet that I read. Whisked him out of the draft lottery area, out of the public eye, as soon as the Pelicans got it. And then it started to be made clear that he wanted to play for the Knicks. He wanted to go to New York. And if you had heard his interview on ESPN on the jump prior to the lottery beginning, he said, you know, whoever I go to, I'll play, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not necessarily saying that that's not going to be the case, but he has not hired an agent yet, which means... He can go back to Duke, folks. If he doesn't want to play for New Orleans and he wants to roll the dice, he can give up the money that's guaranteed. I think it's $5.8 million. 
in part of the rookie salary, and then that would go up for three years after that. And he could go back to Duke for another year, and then his name, he would be right at the top again as the number one pick next year, assuming he didn't get hurt. But that's an option that's out there, and it's being discussed. There are people that have challenged being the number one pick and playing in certain spots. John Elway said no to the Baltimore Colts. Eli Manning famously said no to the San Diego Chargers, forced that move to the New York Giants that ended up sending Phillip Rivers to the Chargers, which I think has kind of worked out for both teams. And Zion Williamson is the most marketable by far prospect to enter the NBA since LeBron James 16 years ago. And incidentally, seems like that's around the time frame where you get another generational guy. It's usually somewhere around that a little more than a decade and a half before you get that transcendent player. Now, there have been better prospects from an all-around standpoint, but at the time, I mean, none of them had the glitz of this. That draft that had Greg Oden and Kevin Durant in it, they were probably better prospects just on paper. And maybe there's a handful, or maybe there's one other, maybe Anthony Davis, maybe he's out there as well. But is Zion going to challenge? And people are now saying if he doesn't want to play for the Pelicans, and maybe he doesn't, does he go back to Duke, or does he force a trade, or does he refuse? Here is my question, regardless of whether or not he does. And this is the point that I have heard others make through the years. We simply just accept something that does not exist in virtually any other corner of professional society. And that is the best prospects are told where they go, how much they get paid, and they can't really do much about it. It's just accepted that that's the way it is. That's not like that in any other job. Whoever wants to pay you the most, I mean, when you come out of college, whatever it is that you do, let's say a lawyer or a doctor, whoever it is that you've got your law degree, you've got your medical degree, you're at the top of your class at the best school in the country, for example, you're the top prospect in the legal draft. You're going to be able to pick and choose your situation, what city you want to practice in, who you want to work for, what kind of clients they serve. You're going to be able to talk about your salary right off the top, and you're going to be able to negotiate what you want in some respects. You may not have a ton of leverage off the top, but you can make your choice. But in the NBA or in college sports as a whole, if Kyler Murray didn't want to play for the Arizona Cardinals, then that would be a problem because it's just accepted and has become so that all these teams make a decision as to who gets the rights to draft you, who gets the right to employ you. It's kind of insane. And athletes over the past handful of years are starting to wield their authority a little bit more. Even though you might not have liked it, think about what Antonio Brown did to get himself out of Pittsburgh. He's not the only one. There are others that found their way out. Le'Veon Bell in his own way forced his way out of Pittsburgh. Anthony Davis kind of was done in New Orleans. There have been instances like this before. And so, are we eventually going to get to a place in sporting society where the athletes finally realize, you know what? We don't have to play by your rules. We don't have to accept your system. 
And I haven't commented yet, and we'll talk about that in the next segment, as to the Pelicans fit and some of these other teams and, and things of that nature. But if Zion Williamson wanted to start a revolution, he could do so right now because he has that level of marketability straight out of the gates. Elway didn't really necessarily have marketability coming out of Stanford. Eli Manning, I mean, okay, I get, not really. Nobody has had marketability since LeBron James like Zion Williamson. There's no question about that. One of the most amazing things I have seen in a long time is how much ESPN fawned over him last night with all of those other young men in attendance that also are going to be drafted high. For example, Ja Morant, who is going to be a Memphis Grizzly, I, I mean, assuming he wants to play there and doesn't make a move himself, which I think he will, Ja Morant's on stage. Rachel Nichols fires it over to the interviewer. I'm standing next to the second best NBA prospect in this class. Said it with John Morant right there. Like to introduce a John Morant package. And then during the actual lottery, for whatever reason, the house mic was up and you could hear Rachel Nichols talking. And she was talking to Zion Williamson before they went to break to find out who the top four picks were going to be. Zion, are you nervous? Camera on Zion. R.J. Barrett's there. John Morant's there. Uh, all these guys are there that are going to be high draft picks. And it was almost like ESPN was ESPZ. It was all about Zion Williamson last night. And I wondered, man, how do you feel if you're anybody else in this situation? But as for Zion Williamson, does he want to play for the Pelicans? Would he actually be willing to go back to Duke? Or would he finally be willing to say, you know what, this lottery system's all cool and all, but we don't necessarily have to abide by this. Because again, if you stop and think about it, and you probably never have in this context before, how many other jobs are you told basically where you can work and where you can't and how much maximum you can get paid to do that? That's not the free market at all. And so there is clamoring in the wake of this. There is the idea of there's been a lot of columns written that haven't come out and directly said this, but there've been a few that have said, what would he make on the open market right now? What would LeBron make on an open market right now? The reason for the draft lottery is of course, to try and improve bad teams and to bring new markets up. And if you don't have a draft lottery and it's totally free, then all of the rich franchises can just buy their way into happiness. And it's going to be the big markets, the ones that have the deep pockets. And then it just becomes an arms race. It basically becomes baseball. But even baseball has a draft. Every sport has a draft. And the draft is unique. And there's nothing like it in any other job. And so I ask you, how do you feel about that when you stop and think about it? And don't come back with the, well, they're making millions, so blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they're making millions, but they could be commanding far more money right out of the gate. There is risk involved in what they do for a living. It's a very finite position. It's not something that's going to last forever. And they have no say, really, with the very few exceptions that have tried to challenge this in the past. They have no say over where they're going to go. They can't pick their city. They can't pick where they want to live. They can't pick anything. They can't negotiate really their salary either because of the way that things are set up. So 
this lottery right now is under probably the biggest microscope it ever has been before because Zion Williamson puts it there. Zion Williamson soaks up so much attention and as a marketing just dynamo before he ever steps foot on a court, the Pelican servers crashed last night, their ticket servers. Everybody wants to see him play. Article with the big lead today from from Ryan Glassbeagle, who I had on a couple of weeks back, asking whether or not TNT, ESPN, ABC, everybody is now going to make Pelicans a national team, and they're going to be all over the place because of Zion Williamson, because people are going to want to watch him play. The answer is, yeah, probably so. My expectation is Zion Williamson is not going to challenge this. I think he will be advised that there will be backlash, even though maybe there shouldn't be. You might immediately say, what an entitled athlete. How about you just play where you get drafted? But would you? In your job, if you, let's say you wanted to live here in Nashville, as so many other people did, but the rights to draft you only existed in Columbus, Ohio. No offense to Ohio State. I'm just picking sort of a city that doesn't necessarily have some kind of a big scene outside, I guess, of what Ohio State football means. But just any middle of the road, you know, just a Midwest city that you've never wanted to live in before. But that's who has your rights. That's who you can negotiate with. You can't talk to Nashville. You can't talk to any other place that you might want to go because of rules that have been set up that everyone has just kind of gone along with and accepted as the way it is. What if... Zion Williamson just said, those rules are dumb. I'm not going to play in New Orleans. I'm going to play here. Or what if he tried to challenge the money aspect of it? I know there are billions of dollars in the NBA. And if you want to play in their league, you have to play by their rules. I sort of understand that. But this is a unique situation, and there's no other comparison out there for it. And so this is going to be fascinating to watch. I think the think pieces are going to be more fascinating than anything. I think Zion's going to play for New Orleans. And we'll talk about what that might look like, what it looks like for Anthony Davis. And again, John Morant to Memphis, what happened to the Knicks and the Lakers. Fascinating stuff last night during the NBA draft lottery. But again, the draft, it's kind of crazy when you stop and think about it, right? That it's just become the thing that is, and everybody just goes along with it. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back to the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin. Glad to have you with us. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to making renting your home easy, fast, and worry-free. Renters Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. Programming note, Mark Howard's out for the next couple of days, taking a few well-deserved days of rest from the wake-up zone. I'll be in his chair tomorrow and Friday along with Blaine Bishop and Kevin Dyson and with Jonathan Schaefer. Looking forward to getting back in saddle with those guys. And my show will still be airing every night at 6, too. This weekend, Saturday morning, 1 to 5 a.m., you will hear me right here on 104.5 The Zone in for Jonas Knox on Fox Sports Radio nationally and then the Jason Martin Show, of course, Every Sunday, 2 to 5 a.m., the first two hours they are live right here. So there are massive names in media saying Zion Williamson should go back to Duke or he should call the Pelicans and demand to be traded. Colin Cowherd is one of them. 
Cowherd said this morning that he would demand to be traded and say, I don't want to play in New Orleans, and that's up to me. And that's what I was saying the first deal is that we accept the lottery, but the lottery is not canon. You know, it's something that can be changed. It's something people can balk at. But saying nope, it's going to have some ramifications. And one of the things about Zion Williamson that we've always heard is what an affable guy he is. And we see his smile just as much as we see his dunks on TV. And this would definitely change a little bit of that, even though Eli's always been known as an all shucks good dude. But you remember how that went down with he and his father and how they were not going to play for the Chargers because at the time, why would anybody want to play for that organization because of how badly it had been run up to that point? So I don't know exactly how it goes. I will tell you this, though. Sometimes, and actually oftentimes, how something appears can become more important than how it actually is. The NBA draft lottery takes place last night. And I knew, and I tweeted this out. I said the most predictable thing about tonight's NBA draft lottery is that Twitter is going to say it's rigged because everything has to be rigged because there there must be a conspiracy theory behind everything. It's not possible this could have just been on the up and up. It's just kind of unfortunately, and social media has made it worse. So when the Pelicans got the pick, I knew that there would be a reason why this would have been how you would fix it. So let me read this from Sports Illustrated at SI.com. The final order. Think about this. A fledgling but beloved small market landed the chance to draft the most marketable player to hit the league in 15 years. Another fledgling small market will have the chance to pair a future all-NBA center with the number two pick. And then the two biggest franchises in basketball landed at three and four, giving each of them an extra asset as they battle each other in trade talks for the next two months and try to build a title contender before next October. All of this is a lot more fun than if, say, the Hornets, Cavs, and Suns had landed in the top three. I'm not saying Tuesday's lottery was fixed. Seriously, it wasn't. But if someone ever did want to fix the lottery, I think this is the exact order I would have picked on the NBA's behalf. Like I said, there was going to be an argument to explain how this would have been the perfect fix. And this guy's saying, it's not fixed. But people are going to take this and they're going to run with it in the opposite direction and say, look at this. It's clearly fixed. It's rigged. The NBA's totally rigged. I mean, I saw colleagues that work with me at Fox tweeting out immediately that the fix was in because of Anthony Davis and how they needed to get him to L.A. or get him to New York easier. And so getting Zion down to New Orleans makes that possible. It's also possible that this was just an NBA draft lottery and that this is how it went up. The team that had a 6% chance of getting the number one pick got it. Remember, no one had more than a 14% chance. So it's not as if this is completely improbable. It's not like it was before where the Knicks would have had a 25% chance. That's not how it plays out anymore. The Knicks got the three pick. They could have gotten as low as the five. The Lakers got the four. So that does help out. Those are two big markets. One of them's probably getting R.J. Barrett. The other one may take Darius Garland. It's amazing to me that the NBA would not have seen some of this coming and at least tried to make this harder to argue. When you just have a dude in a suit that works for the NBA walk out and open envelopes with team logos on them, what exactly are you showing us about the lottery process except the results of it. 
when you are drawing lottery numbers on TV, one of the big reasons why you see those ping pong balls in that bubblegum machine hopper and then you see the pretty girl pull the thing out and hold it up to you and when you stop looking at her long enough, you see the ball and it says 36 or whatever. One is because there is suspense there and you're watching it and you see him pull out the ping pong ball. But the second thing is you are seeing it take place. How it is perceived can be all, it can be the whole battle, not even half the battle. This ain't G.I. Joe. This can be the whole deal. And in this case, why in the world would you not have those ping pong balls on stage and just pull them out the same way you would lottery numbers? Because then at least it appears like, because this is the problem. Because it was all done behind closed doors and they just handed them envelopes in order and said the third pick will be made by the New York Knicks. We don't know if that's true or not. I'm going to go ahead and believe in the integrity of the system, but there are a lot of numbskulls out there, folks. There are a lot of people wearing tinfoil hats as often as they possibly can that really like the idea of conspiracies. And this just plays right into it because it seems so star chamberish because it was all done behind closed doors. Why in the world you would not have a camera on a hopper with a bunch of ping pong balls in it and just have somebody pull them out and then have that dude read the name or just hold up the logo and then Rachel Nichols could say, ah, number four, the Los Angeles Lakers. This is common sense, right? One, it's, we all like it. Look, I don't know that this is a common theme, but I think that maybe it should be. Human beings like watching ping pong balls floating in air that get pulled out randomly. There's something about it that feels anticipatory. This was envelopes being opened. And Frank Isola of The Athletic tweets out that he knew what happened before it happened, that he had gotten into the lottery process and he couldn't believe who got the number one pick. I don't know what that means. I have no idea if that's true or not. Isola is pretty good at his job. I enjoy him on TV as well. But this is one that it was just like, this is non-news news. It's like, hey, I know what's going to happen. You're not going to believe it. And then he doesn't tell you. That's the same thing. And if you didn't understand my tweet last night about the lottery process and the idea of it being fixed, what I meant by the last statement was it is a hedged take to say that the lottery is fixed because you can't prove it, but you also can't prove it's not true. And that's the same thing about what Isola said. He didn't say anything in this report Except that I know what happened and you're going to be blown away. Everybody's got a price is how he finished it off. So apparently Ted, the million dollar man, DiBiase, was going to be drafted number one somehow. I didn't even know he was eligible. But there's no way to prove that Frank Isola, what he's saying isn't true. Because he was one of the reporters on site that had done all those things and had been part of that green room deal. There's no way for me to say he didn't do it. There's also no way for me to say he did do it. That's the same thing with the lottery. There's no way for me to say that it wasn't fixed. No way for me to say that it was. And I know the conspiracy theorists would just talk about weighted ping pong balls or special paint that made some float a little bit higher or that kind of brought them to where they needed to be to be pulled out. Like there still would have been an argument, but it would have been a less, it, it, it would have been a lot easier to debunk in a lot of people's minds. You're never going to be able to prove to 100% of the people that something's on the up and up. 
And what was amazing to me about the Knicks not getting the number one pick is how everybody acted like the Knicks had done something wrong. I haven't seen something more embarrassing than Stephen A. Smith in a closet at home tweeting out a video of himself screaming about the Knicks not getting the number one pick and screaming, typical Knicks. Stephen A., they had nothing to do with this process except losing a bunch of games and being in position to get the number one pick. I know James Dolan's bad at his job and has been for a long time. I know that the Knicks have been mired in futility for a very, very long time. Haven't won a championship since 75. I get it. They end up with the third pick. They're probably taking R.J. Barrett. Some people believed going into the season he was going to be the number one draft pick. I am on record. R.J. Barrett seems like a really good young man. Really nice, smart young man. I would not want him on my team because he is a volume shooter who in virtually every other statistical category is below average for an NBA prospect. His defense is not great. He doesn't commit to rebounding. His three-point percentage is not particularly good. He does shoot free throws well, and he does score a lot, but he's one of those guys that's going to get you 35 points, and he's going to take 30 shots to do it on a consistent basis. He's not an efficient scorer. He is a volume shooter. And in 2019, we see some of those guys, but a lot of them make early exits out of the playoffs. And R.J. Barrett doesn't strike me as a number one guy. He strikes me as a number two guy immediately. Whereas Ja Morant, who I also am on record as saying, and I said this months ago, I said it during the NCAA tournament, before the tournament even tipped off, I believe, Ja Morant's going to have a better on-court pro career than Zion Williamson because the NBA, as it has evolved, is built for a guy like him, not necessarily a guy like Zion, who if you want me to try and compare him to a player, and it is a tough comparison to make, and many have tried and failed at trying to find somebody that Zion reminds them of. The one that always pops to mind for me because of the lack of a consistent jump shot, and maybe that will change. Hopefully it will because I want to see him round out his game and be every everything that some people believe he can be. He reminds me of a more talented, more athletic Blake Griffin. I do think he could potentially lead you to a championship. I think he's got that kind of character. I don't necessarily think Blake Griffin had that. Blake Griffin, to me, is a second banana. Even though he did play hard for Detroit, Detroit's barely in the playoffs. He's hurt all the time. That's the other comparison. If Zion's able to stay healthy, Blake has not been able to stay consistently healthy. When it was him and Chris Paul with the Clippers, you never knew whether one or both of those guys were going to be able to get on the floor. But John Morant going to Memphis, and Morant, between him and Barrett, it's not even close to me. Morant does everything well. Passes it exquisitely well. Extraordinary vision. Gets everybody involved because Murray State wasn't very good, but there were players that actually were being talked about as, hey, you know, these guys are pretty good. I think it's because Morant put them in position to be good. He can shoot. He can shoot big time. He can get to the rack. He can jump out of the gym. And, yes, I know he called himself God, but I also think he's actually somewhat humble, at least as humble as somebody with that level of height can be. And so I think Memphis may have won the lottery. Not to say New Orleans didn't, unless Zion says he's not going to play there. I think both those guys are Hall of Fame players. 
That's my prediction. But I think John Morant's the one that's built for this NBA. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us here on a Wednesday evening in the Music City. I'm Jason Martin. This is The Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. You can follow me on Twitter. Wish you would at jmartzone. Raptors, Bucks, and Milwaukee game one coming up here in just a little while on TNT. Eastern Conference Finals game one should be a good one. Two guys that are absolutely killing it in the postseason and Kawhi Leonard and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Here's some stats for you, though, and then I'm going to make a larger point. This from one of the Raptors beat reporters. Raptors tried a few guys on Giannis. Siakam, 93 possessions. He was the main guy. Giannis had 41 points against him on 15 and 27 shooting. Five assists. Kawhi did it for 31 possessions. Held him to four points on two for three shooting. Giannis went for 24 on 26 possessions with Ibaka. Middleton tried to guard Kawhi 64% of the time on the flip side. That's 143 possessions. Held him to 36 points on 11 for 27 from the floor, three of four from three, five fouls on Middleton guarding him. Kawhi had seven assists during that time. The Milwaukee Bucks were better against this team in the regular season. They have been better in the playoffs as a team, and they won the season series against them. And all of these games that have been played between these two teams were pre-trade deadlines. That means no Mark Gasol, no Nikola Mirotic. Some of the things have changed between these two teams. But here's a question I want to ask you, because those stats would tell you, well, that's going to be a tough matchup for the Raptors. But you already knew that. But Kawhi is a tough matchup for anybody in basketball. We just saw that. The Sixers just could not contain him. Bucks, one of, if not the best defensive team in the NBA. And one of the top five offensive teams. Very efficient team as well. Nobody pays attention to them. They're about to, I think. But I told you about trust a couple of days ago. And said the reason that I believed in the Raptors over the Sixers and the reason why I believed Golden State would close Houston out at six and not even take it to seven was because their guys had been there and done that before, and I had trust in that, in Steph and Clay, and I still have that right now against the Blazers. As much as those two backcourts are fun to watch, Portland just doesn't have enough firepower, and there's way too much playoff experience, plus Steve Kerr, who has a ton of playoff experience, both as a player and a coach, for Golden State. Terry Stotts is really good, and Portland has a good bench, but they still, I think, need one more piece. The Warriors just have too much. But in this series, you really have one guy that's been there and done that before, an NBA Finals MVP in Kawhi Leonard. He's awesome. We know this. Made one of the most iconic shots in NBA history just a few days ago on Sunday evening to close out the Sixers. Can one guy that has done it before overcome a bunch of guys that not only haven't, but have seemingly had a virus against being able to get it done. Kyle Lowry has done nothing but disappoint in the playoffs. Pretty much everybody wearing that uniform has disappointed in the playoffs. Ibaka played pretty good in Oklahoma City, but that was a long time ago. I mean, he's played in Orlando since then as well. But pretty much everybody for the Raptors has not been good historically in the postseason at all. Leonard is the only exception. So can one guy carry 
a bunch of guys that sort of it's almost like you're it's a balancing act. Can that one guy overcome his own teammates? Against the Sixers, kind of. Now Lowry did make some hustle plays, but Siakam pulled a no show and nobody wearing a Raptors jersey wanted to shoot. They just kept looking for Kawhi to get him the ball. And so he had to take an insane number of shots to get his forty one points in that ball game. These guys have to play unafraid. They've got to play aggressively and be looking for their offense and let Kawhi do what Kawhi does. But they're going to have to show up and play against Milwaukee because I think Budenholzer and I think that this Milwaukee team is going to probably do a good job on making Kawhi have to work really hard to get his points. And so somebody else is going to have to step up wearing a Raptors uniform or the Bucks are going to the NBA Finals. And I'm still kind of torn on this series because I still think Kawhi is enough because I think he's that good. But I also think Giannis is that good. This series, to me, is fascinating. I think this one could go either way. This is not like I feel real confident the Warriors are going to beat the Blazers in six, if not five. No disrespect to the Blazers. They're simply not the Warriors. No one is. No one has been for the last half decade in the NBA. But in this series, you've got two teams that have never made it to an NBA Finals before, at least not in not in not at a point where we've ever paid attention. The Raptors certainly have never made it. And you've got one guy that really knows what it's like. And that's Kawhi. And so do I say that experience is enough to overwhelm the better team? Because the better team is the Milwaukee Bucks. Arguably, they have definitely had the easier path. The Sixers was a tougher matchup than the dumpster fire Celtics. Did you hear Terry Rozier? Terry Rozier being interviewed was totally, totally candid to ESPN and said point blank, that if things come back, if Kyrie comes back, if Gordon Hayward and all that come back, he wants to go somewhere else. He didn't have fun last year. He's a guy that believes in himself. He wanted to maximize what he could do as a free agent. I think he. I don't think he's coming back to Boston. I think he wanted to make it clear with those comments, get me out of here. I want to play somewhere else. I want to be more of the man. And he was kind of like the ninth or 10th best player on that roster, the way that they gave him minutes. And that's sort of ridiculous. There are other teams where he can be in the starting lineup on a pretty consistent basis and contribute. And he could be a good point guard. He's not a volume shooter. He can handle the ball. He can take you off the dribble a little bit. He can pass it. And he's definitely a tenacious kind of player. There were only a few of those on the Boston Celtics this year. The other one would probably be Marcus Smart who is an offensive liability a lot of times, but he's a dog. He's the Draymond Green of the Eastern Conference. He is the irritant, to be sure. But Kawhi Leonard, is he enough? I don't know. I know I need to make a prediction here. The Warriors, that one was easy. They have a lot of guys that have been there and done that before. Problem is, Kawhi is going to have to carry a bunch of dudes that have been kryptonite to the NBA Finals and to the NBA playoffs pretty much their entire careers. And Milwaukee has home court advantage, and they've got Giannis, and I don't know who stops Giannis. I don't know, and as he continues to develop an outside shot, that dude could potentially dominate the NBA for the next decade. With some of these other players aging, and you're going to see some skills diminish, He's just entering his prime. He's shredded. He's in perfect condition. He doesn't seem to get tired. He's not a guy that fouls out. He does everything well, and now he's starting to make threes. NBA's going to have to look out. Is it time for Giannis to take this step? This is a big step to move from first round to 
all the way to the NBA Finals. So who am I going to take here? Am I going to take the guy I trust in Kawhi, or am I going to take the Milwaukee Bucks? I honestly am going to go with the newcomer. I'm going with Milwaukee. I just think that Kawhi is going to have to work too hard. It's not that he's going to get fatigued. It's that all these other guys are going to have to come up in a way that I haven't seen him come up. And I think it's very possible they go back down 2-0, win game three, and lose game four, and then it's 3-1. I think this could be a seven-game series. And if it is, man, when we get to game seven, I might turn around and say, you know what, I think Toronto might have this. Because we'll have to see how the story plays out over the next week, week and a half, as we watch these games sort of unfold. So maybe my opinion changes then, but I'm going with the Milwaukee Bucks right now because Giannis is just on another level, and their defense is great, and they do have some depth. I like Bledsoe handling the basketball. I love Chris Middleton's game. I like a lot of what they bring to the table. And Giannis right now is just... I don't know. When you watch him, you're just like, people aren't supposed to be able to do that at his size. And he is just seemingly not just the best player on the court, but far and above the best player on every court he is stepping on right now. Kawhi has not really faced that. And Kawhi could be. Kawhi's going to have to be better than he's ever been, I think, to overcome the Bucks right now. And then they get to the NBA Finals and they see the Warriors. And if Durant's back, I mean, who knows? But as for the Eastern Conference Finals, I'll go with the Bucks. Coming up, Beth Page Black, baby. Tigers getting back on the course. We'll talk about some golf. This is the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. Final segment of the program tonight, Big Six on 104.5 Zone. A reminder, I'll be in 6 to 10 a.m. next two days with Kevin Ingram and Blaine Bishop, my good friends. Be nice to reunite with them for a little while and... Step in as Mark Howard takes a couple of days off on the wake-up zone. First time I'll be working with Jonathan Schaefer, so I'm looking forward to looking forward to that. Hopefully you'll be able to check us out. This show is brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate, renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renters Warehouse, the rent estate company. This from Mark Stein. The Pelicans, I'm told, have sold in the neighborhood of 3,000 season ticket packages for next season in the wake of winning last night's NBA lottery and the chance to draft Zion Williamson number one overall. Kind of amazing. And it might be amazing because you're like, just 3,000? Well, there is talk he might not go there, first of all. So that would be part of it. 3,000 doesn't sound like a lot, but it hasn't even been, it's barely been 12 hours right? I mean, it's, you talk about when the ticket windows have been open and stuff's been crashed and all of these things. The new lottery system benefited some of the smaller teams, but the Lakers and the Knicks still ended up in the top five, which helped. The Hawks were the big losers. There was talk that Zion wanted to go to Atlanta and there were many folks that wanted to see him go to Atlanta with Trey Young and see what that team could do because Atlanta's sort of a a city on the rise from a population and a sports interest standpoint, it's always kind of been the joke. Atlanta's one of the worst sports cities in the country. But the Falcons do pretty well. The Braves don't sell out, but I'm a Braves fan. There are Braves fans that are kind of all over the country, I think, because of TBS and Superstation and how we all grew up. I mean, I only got to go to one game with my family when I was fairly young, and I've gone to many more since, and I lived in the city for a couple of years. Well, I lived in Kennesaw. Nobody wants to live in Atlanta, but I lived around it and avoided going downtown or anywhere I didn't need to because of traffic. We're starting to see that here in Nashville, which is why hopefully 
If you are stuck in a car, you've enjoyed tonight's program. Tomorrow through Sunday, Beth Page Black, which is one of my favorite courses to watch golf be played on because it can be relentlessly difficult, and it's hilly, and it's going to challenge these guys, the PGA Championship. I love this sort of new format of how we're doing these majors because the PGA Championship was the one, and I heard this last week on Global Golf Radio, I believe, and, and I have always thought this, the PGA Championship, Glory's Last Shot, was sort of like the forgotten, yeah, you won a major, but, I mean, you didn't win the U.S. Open, and you didn't obviously win the Masters, and you didn't even win the Open Championship. There's not a whole lot of history behind the PGA Championship. That's why that would be the one on TNT, where you'd be listening to Ernie Johnson, who I love to death, and you'd watch them, and then CBS would, okay, we'll pick it up on Saturday. Well, the PGA Championship now being the second major puts it in a better spot. Now it sort of feels like a major, and it still hasn't been too long since the Masters, and then here we go. And then Father's Day U.S. Open, and then boom, we'll finish up with the Open Championship, which will sell itself because it's the Open Championship, and the British Open is a big deal. So instead of having the last one sort of be forgotten, you put it here right after the Masters, and everybody's excited. The other reason everybody's excited, Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is a unique athlete. This is probably something I need more time than this to talk about, but when you think about dynasty, do you think about new teams? Remember when the Warriors won their first NBA title? There were a whole lot of people that wanted to see that happen and were behind that team. Then the second time around, it was like, all right, cool, they won again. Then the third time, man, can we maybe get somebody else? And the fourth time, please, can we get anybody else? It's like, that's how it goes. It can start out being a good story, but quickly, even like likable groups begin to wear on people and you want new blood and you want Portland to beat them this year maybe. Maybe you don't if you're just watching for players. Maybe you're interested in continuing to watch Stephen Clay for as long as you can and hope that Durant comes back. But it's true in like all sports. Everybody wears on you. Except Tiger Woods, right? Because I don't know anybody. I'm sure there are many people probably listening to me that will now tweet me at Zone and tell me I'm one. But Tiger won the Masters. We can't wait for him to go try to win the PGA, can we? And then we won't be. We can't wait for him to go win the U.S. and the, and the British. We want to see this over and over again. That's usually not how it goes. You do want to see it move around. You want to see different champions. You want to see all of these things. And with all these young guns and likable players, Dustin Johnson, super likable guy. Justin Thomas, who had to pull out because of an injury. That's unfortunate. Likable guy. Justin Rose, likable guy. Adam Scott, likable guy. Brooks Kepka, likable guy. All of these dudes. But everybody wants to see Tiger Woods win. That's what we want. That's why we're going to tune in. I would tune in anyway because major championship golf to me is appointment television every time. I love it to death. Uh, other than football and like playoff NBA basketball and the NCAA tournament, it's probably my favorite thing to watch. And my two favorite sporting events of the year are two majors that won't be this one, the Masters and the U.S. Open. U.S. Open probably first because of the difficulty and just how unpredictable it can be, and the Masters because of the pageantry of it all. But the PGA title, PGA Championship right now with Tiger doing what he's doing is more fascinating. And so there's stories already coming out about how Tiger was going to, he, he had said earlier in the week he was going to show up and he was going to play nine holes to make sure he was feeling exactly how he needed to on this, uh, on this course. And then earlier today, okay, he's not actually going to be here at all. So then the speculation begins. Oh, he's hurt. He's not feeling good. Blah, blah, blah. This, that, and the other. He's going to be there. He's going to be fine. It's going to be windy and it's going to be hilly. And he's got early tea time. So I don't know how that, or at least tomorrow, he's got an early tea time. So that's going to maybe put him in a spot where 
especially playing alongside Molinari and Kepka, he's going to have to have his A game or he could have a bad day and play himself out of this thing relatively quickly. At his body and his age, you know, you would want to get potentially a little bit more rest and be a little later in the morning, but that's not how it's going to play out. But as a result, it means we're going to be sitting there watching Tiger Woods early and we're going to know what he's done. And because it's Tiger Woods, that's what we're going to be paying attention to. It's going to be a pretty good sports weekend. NBA playoffs continuing in the conference finals and Tiger Woods potentially going for another major. There is nothing in sports that captivates us on an individual level quite like Tiger Woods in a major golf championship situation because of Jack and because of history and because he's Tiger Woods. And I know we talk about unicorns a lot and, you know, magical fantasy beasts that don't really exist. And it's like once in a lifetime, like Zion's a unicorn. Giannis is a unicorn. Patrick Mahomes is a unicorn. So there are several guys out there that we call unicorns. There's only one guy out there we call a tiger. We'll see you tomorrow. I'll be on the wake-up zone. Looking forward to it. 6 a.m. sharp right here on The Zone. Clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose. God bless. And good night.